Today's daf is Gitin Samach Bet 62. We pick up on the last few lines of Samach Aleph Bet. We are wrapping up the fifth parak of Hanizakin, which um, is perhaps moved from the fourth parak's discussion of things that are done for Tikkun Olam to now a discussion of things that were done for um, Darche Shalom, ways of peace. And the Mishnah mentioned um, ways in which a woman would lend, um, was allowed to lend uh, various implements for making uh, grinding and making flour and kneading dough. Um, to her friend who might not have been keeping the laws of Shemitah or might not have been uh, an Amaharetz and not keeping Trumas and Maestros and so on, um, and that nevertheless certain things were allowed because of Darchei Shalom. So in the context of that, the Gemara got into a whole discussion about whether we're concerned that when um, one... Uh, um, Entrusts, uh, you know, food stuff with an amaaretz or with various people. Will they swap it out for their own? And do we have to be concerned, or will they touch it? Do we have to be concerned that it will become tamay, or that we will get back produce that has not had trumas meisers taken from it? So we're wrapping that up. We have one last case about that, and we're at the bottom of Samach Aleph Amud Bet. And the Gemara says the following: um, This is one, two, five lines from the bottom. Um, I still want to ask, says the Gemara, it's true that we're not concerned that under normal circumstances, there might be special circumstances that we dealt with yesterday that we're concerned about swapping, but the claim is, in general, we're not concerned. You can entrust this stuff to an Amaaretz or whatever, and we're not concerned that it will be swapped out with other foods. Is that really true, says the Gemara? Fatani we turn a brisa to seftin taros. Eishes chaver tochenes imeishes amaretz bismanchi hit mea. Avalo bismanchi tohra. So the wife of a chaver, and here chaver in the sense of somebody who is makbed uh, on the laws of um, of tumen tahara, um, can uh, grind the grain with uh, the wife of an amaretz. And again, the assumption, of course, being that the wives are following the same practices as the husbands. When this woman is a tmea, presumably means when she's a nida or tmea for any other reason. But not when she is tahora. What's the difference? Because she will follow the practices that she's used to at home, this wife of the chaver. And at home, when she's tamei'ah, she can still grind the uh, grain as long as she doesn't touch it, and she won't make it tamei. So she'll be in the habit here of not touching the grain. But if she's tahorah, then she might come to, you know, handle the food and pop some food in her mouth, and that will be food that will not have had trumas and meisters taken from it. So therefore, we don't want her to do it. It will be too likely that she might come to inadvertently eat from it if she's tahorah. Reb Shimon ben Elezer Omer, No, no, no. Even when she's tmei'ah, she shouldn't grind, even though she won't absent-mindedly put some food in her mouth. But But because we're afraid that the friend that she's helping out the wife of the Amaretz, top of Samach Padam and Aleph now, will, um, we, you know, will go ahead and offer her some of the food. Hey, you know, we've been working at grinding and at making this stuff, etc. Maybe you want to eat some. And then it won't be absent-minded and, you know, she might come ahead and come to eat it. Maybe the social pressure or whatever, even though she is Tmei'ah. Um, or maybe... She, um, so therefore, the Gemara says that, there, that that is, excuse me, according to a human lezer, that's a concern. Now, why is that relevant at all to the issue of entrusting food? So the Mar says the following: Hashda mignav ganva chilufei lamechalfa. So here, this woman, this wife of the Amaaret, is prepared to steal. So, of course, she'll swap out food that's entrusted to her. Now, where is she stealing? So, if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, No senesla alma chashuda eishas amart lignov nishel ba'alav litein lechaverta. To steal from her husband and to give to her friend. Presumably, you know, it's her, her husband owns all the food in the house. The husband was the bread earner, winner, haha. And, um, and therefore, um, 
and she did not have a right to offer food to her friends without her husband's permission. So effectively, she's stealing from her husband. So she's going to steal for her husband. So you see, you can't trust Amehaaretz, and therefore, if they're going to steal, they'll certainly swap out stuff. If they like the stuff you entrusted better than theirs, they'll, they'll, they'll swap it out. And therefore, how can you make this claim that we can entrust things with them? So the Gemara says, Amr of Yosef, no, 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 that's also a special case. She, uh, the, the, this woman is Moraheta. Uh, she, you know, rationalizes why that's allowed. Because an ox should be able to eat from what it's threshing. You know, there's a luck in the Torah that if, you know, your ox is threshing, you can't muzzle it. My friend is here. She's helping me grind the grain. So even though I don't have explicit permission from my husband to uh, have her, you know, um, um, to, to, to share this food with her, uh, it's totally fine. You know, it, 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 I'm sure he'd be okay with it. And therefore... Um, that's why she's doing it. But it does not tell you that somebody will self-consciously, um, you know, swap out the food when they cannot rationalize it in this type of a way. Um, you know, they actually, I think they did a study once where um, they put like a, a dollar out in a, um, um, in a uh, what do you call it, like in a common area and work, like in, you know, in like the kitchen area, and like uh, nobody touched it. But then they put out a uh, soda can and some, you know, people came and they like, and they, and they took it and they drank it. Because, you know, taking a dollar that's not yours, that feels like stealing. Taking a soda can that's been abandoned, that doesn't feel like stealing. So people have interesting ways of rationalizing these different scenarios, but as a general thing, we are not concerned that they are going to swap out the food. Okay, so that's really an end of the conversation yesterday. Now we are uh, a little bit switched gears. Um, hey, Reb Yossi, so three lines from the top of Samach Ben Amaralev. Hey, Reb Yossi Ben Amishulam, Mishum Reb Yochanan, Reb Yossi Ben Amishulam testified in the name of Reb Yochanan, Achiv, his brother, Shem Mishum Reb Lezer Ben Chasma, the son of the name of Reb Lezer Ben Chasma, Ein Osim Chalas Ama Aretz B'Tahara. You cannot... If you are Tahor, this is a take, you know, following up before, we talked about the wife of the Chavir being Tamei or Tahor, where ironically it was more permissible when she was Tamei, etc. Here you are a, um, this person, we're talking now to a person who is a kneader, K-N-E-A-D-E-R, who goes ahead and kneads dough, and an Amaretz comes and gives you the dough and says, I want you to knead this into me, you know, bake challahs for me. It's a, a lot of very laborious in order to do all that kneading. Um, and by the way, while you're doing it, please do me a favor and do hafreshas challah. Take out a little bit of the bread, you know, of the dough to give to a kohen. And that's great because here you are, you're a chaver, you're tahor, the, and, um, you are, and, um, and uh, you, you know, you'll separate it out and that, give it to the amart and he'll give it to the kohen. But it says, no, actually when you're tahor, it's a problem. Why? Because you might be tahor, but the dough that was given to you, because it comes from an amaretz, we're, we're assuming is tmea. And therefore, since it's tamei dough, you'll take it out. The Kohen will see the Amaretz, you know, the Amaretz will come back, he'll get back his bread and the challah, you know, the, the, that goes to the Kohen, he'll give it to the Kohen, he'll say, yeah, so-and-so separated it out for me, and the Kohen knows you're a Chavir and you're Tahor, and therefore the Kohen will think that the dough is Tahor. But actually it's not because it came from an Amaretz who's Tameh. Um, so therefore that's a problem. Um, um, but if you're Tahor... Um, but so isas chuyav If you um um chusa. So what you but what you can do, however, is you can make it into dough. If he delivers you flour, 
then you, flour by, it's not yet tamay. It's only once water hits it and becomes dough that it can become tamay. So if he delivers you the flour, you can turn it into dough and then separate it out b'tahara, and then it really is tahor chala. Okay, and then now it's going to be on the uh, Amha'aretz to deliver to a Kohen. So you want to make sure that it's going to remain Tahor. So what do you do? You put it in this thing, a Kfisha or an Anchusa, which is um, Rashi explains. Um, so Rashi explains, these are some uh, like unusual vessels. Rashi explains that this is like a, a worn out uh, type of a flask. Um, the Gaonim explained that the Anchusa is a, like a flat wooden board. So you go ahead and you put it in these unusual vessels. And he takes both, meaning both the dough and, or the challah that you baked with it. <coughs> and the halachic challah that goes to the kohen, and you're not concerned. You're not concerned that he's going to touch it. You keep it in the ve- he's going to keep it in the vessel, and we assume that he's going to deliver it in the vessel to the kohen, and he's not going to touch it. Why we're allowed to concern that is an interesting question, which we will see in a minute. Um, Similarly, you do not go ahead and press his olives when you're tahor, and then he asks you, "Oh, while you're done pressing my olives, you're the guy that owned the olive press. You're a chaver. Go ahead and be mafrish." Truma for me and give it to the Kohen. Same concern. The, he's giving you the olives. There were two stages in olive production. There's the crushing of the olives and then the pressing of the olives. So the crushing is they like this big stone wheel that they went around and around with the olives in a basket. And that basically, you know, crushed them and start, the juices started coming out. And then the next stage was an olive press where it was an enormous, over a long period of time, degree of pressure put down that really squeezed out all of the juice. Okay? So if you're giving to them after they've been crushed, um, and ask him to press it, that's a problem. Because once they've been crushed and the liquid comes out, the liquid comes in contact to the olive, similar to the water with the flour, and it makes it possible for it to become tamay. So the Amaritz delivers it to you, so you're getting tamay olives. So if you're going to now separate it out and you're tahor, the Kohen is going to think the truma is tahor, and that's going to be a problem. So that you are not allowed to do. Aval osin zeitim chuyav b'tahara, but you can go ahead and make his zeisim when they are chulin. You could do it b'tahara. It's not exactly clear how that means something different, but the point here is you can actually take the olives before they've been crushed, crushed, and um, and do the crushing, and then they will because you got them before they were crushed. They were tahor. That you can do, and therefore the truma will be tahor. There, and there you can put it in one of your own vessels, um, and uh, that is tahor. And the Amaretz takes them, the crushed olives and the olive oil you produced for him, plus the stuff that is to be given to the Kohen, and you don't have to be afraid that he's going to touch it. Now, it did not mention some of those unu- unusual vessels before, and one of the explanations is that those unusual vessels were basically sort of like flat boards, and therefore that is not going to be a good place that you're going to be able to store crushed olives. Okay. Now, the time of mine. So now the Gemara says, why are we allowing this? I mean, we get why we're restricting it, but why do we allow the cases we do allow? Are, we should be concerned that the Amarits will touch it. So, Amr Yochanan, Mishum Kidei Chayav de Gaval, Mishum Kidei Chayav de Badad. Because of the, because we want to help the Parnassa, you know, we want to have to help them make a living for this uh, bread uh, dough kneader and the olive crusher. And, um, you know, and, um, and uh, most of the people were not Chaveirim, they were Ame Haaretz. Um, and, uh, you know, and it probably 
probably it would be help your business if you were allowed to be the one to separate off truma. Um, and therefore, we want we, we did this to accommodate uh, in order to make it easier for them to make a living. Okay, v'tzricha. Now, and you know, and similar to it's a type of an allowance. Besides that, we're talking about amea aretz and chaver, and that's analogous to the previous discussion. It's also similar to the allowance in our mishnah, um, where you're allowed to lend your friend something. That was not kedei chayav. That was not about fine, you know, economics and making a living. That was about darchei shalom. But obviously, there's a similar type of allowance in terms of the interactions of chaverim and amei haaretz. Okay, v'tzricha. And you need to tell me both cases, both of the neater and of the um, uh, wine press, uh, olive press, excuse me. The Ashmin and Gaval, if it just told me about the dough neater, it's a very small margin of profit that that person makes. So you understand that you want to, you know, you got to make money by volume. So you want to, so you understand that you want to give a, uh, a p- permit in that case. Um, but the uh, guy who owns the wine press, you know, he has a nice, uh, he makes a lot of profit. So aim a low. So maybe we would not be so uh, accommodating. The Ashmin and Badad, if you told me the case of the guy with the wine press, that's because, you know, there's only a certain season. Excuse me, I keep on saying, I said wine press again. Olive press. If we say the case of the guy with the olive press, that's because there's only a certain season in which, it's true he makes a nice profit, but only there's a very limited season in which he is doing this. So... So it's true that he makes a nice profit, but he's got to support himself the whole year by the money that he makes during the olive pressing season. So therefore, maybe we'll make an especial accommodation. Um, so, uh, but the guy who's doing the bread kneading, the dough kneading, you know, that's a year-round business. Aim a low. Maybe we don't have to accommodate tzricha. So it's telling you, we, yes, for both reasons, we accommodate in order to help them make a living. Now, we're going to ask the question. It's very nice that you want to accommodate, but how are you really attending to the halachic issues? Amamar. Um, you take the challah uh, uh, from this bread now that you're doing it and the dough is tahor. You put it in these special vessels and the Amaretz takes them. You don't have to be concerned. Now, again, the concern could be just that he'll make the challah tamay, but even a bigger concern is he'll make the challah tamay and give it to a Kohen and the Kohen will think that it's tahor and eat tamay challah, which is a real serious sin. So the Gemara says, the Lechu why not be concerned that he's going to touch it? So it says, Damin and lay, because we say to him the following, Chazi, inagaspa, hadrilatifle. We basically lie to him. And we say, you know, he's an Amaret, so not only is he not that Machbit on laws of Tumantari, he's also not that, uh, or Hafrashas Chala, there's a reason he asked you to be Mafish Chala. So he, not only is he not too Machbit, he's, he's uh, also somewhat ignorant of it. So therefore we tell him, okay, I took the Chala you asked me to take, I put it in this special vessel, but you have to understand that if you tuck it, it's going to make everything revert back to be Tevo, and then it's going to be forbidden to eat. And he doesn't want to eat Tevo, right? The general assumption is, even though we have all this principle of Demai, we assume that Rova Meyaretz Ma'asrinheid, that they do take Trumas and Maestros, they do care about Tevo, okay? And certainly about Truma, and certainly about Chala. So therefore, we lie to him and we scare him, and that will keep him from touching this. Um, so now the Gemara says, um, lo Okay, but maybe he doesn't care, you know. I just said he did care, but how do you know? Maybe he doesn't care that it's going to turn back into Tevo. Someone says, no. What do you mean? He's asking the guy who's kneading the dough. He says, please take challah for me. So clearly, even if there are some Amayarits who don't care, this one clearly does care. So he wants it done properly. So therefore, you just say this. He might not care about Tumantara, okay, but he cares about the bread having challah taken from it. So therefore, you use that, and that's a 
a way that you scare him that he won't go ahead and touch this dough. Okay, that's the first part about the challah. Now when we get to the second part. Note about the truma. You take the truma. Again, same story. You give him then, you give him the pressed olives and you give him the stuff that was truma and he's going to deliver the truma to a kohen. Okay, let's be concerned that he'll touch it. Now, now, you can give the same answer. You tell him if you touch it, it will return back to being tevel. Ah, but there's a difference. Because here, we did not talk about putting it into a special vessel. So that's what the Gemara is, focuses on. There, it's a very unusual vessel you put it in. Okay? And therefore, um, you know, when he wants to go touch it, he'll see it and he'll remember. You know, you held out the vessel for him, you know, and he said, if you open this, if you touch it, everything is going to be ruined. And it's, so he's going to remember because he'll see it and it'll be a, it'll, like, it'll be a, a visual, you know, jar, you know, a, 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 a bear, you know, the thing, thing that makes him, that makes him remember the, the warning and to stay off. Um, so, Bishlema Hassam, where are here you just gave it to him in a normal vessel. It says you've given it to him in your vessel. So your vessel is taller, but it's a normal vessel. So nothing is going to be unusual about that. There's not going to be any type of a, you know, of something like a, like a visual uh, marker. And he'll just uh, open up a bag and start munching from it. Um, so how are you going to prevent that from happening? The warning won't be enough unless he remembers the warning. So the Lord says, You put it in um, types of a vessel that are, not only are they tahor, they are, they are, they are not able to become tameh. This is a vessel that is made either from like a dry dung or out of stone or out of dirt, but it's not pottery. Um, and those types of vessels cannot even become tameh. Okay, so, but they also, ben- so that has a benefit, number one, that if he touches it, he won't make it tame. Um, the other case of a vessel was like a flat board, we said, that's out of wood, so that also would not be tame. So it would only be a problem if he touched the food, not if he touched the vessel. And this has the benefit of also being a very unusual type of a vessel. Okay, and therefore, similar to the previous example, it is something that, um, that uh, he will visually, he'll see it and he'll remember he won't just absent-mindedly eat from it, and he'll remember the warning you gave him. So the Gemara says, Why does it have to be the vessels of a chaver? It could be even the vessels of an amharetz, because these things never become tameh. It doesn't matter what you do to them. When it says the chaver's kalim, why does it have to? It means kalim that that even the chaver could use. Kalim vessels that are cannot become tameh, so even the vessel a chaver could use it, and you put it in those vessels. A little bit of a stretch, but anyway, that is an end of the discussion of the amharetz and the chaver and their interactions, which is both a concern of you know a range of different concerns. The Mishnah's concern was, well, are you assisting them? in doing an Avera. The Gemara's concern is, our, start talking about the concern of are we concerned that they're going to swap food that you entrusted to them, so then you'll take it back and you'll eat Tevel because it'll have been swapped. And now we're dealing with an issue about you trying to help them take Trumos and Truman Chala, which is a very uh, praiseworthy thing, but we have to be concerned that the Chala remains Tahor and that it gets to the Kohen in that state. Um, and that was an allowance, not because of social interaction and Darche Shalom, but an allowance of Kedei Chaya for people to make a parnasa as long as certain safeguards were provided.
put in place, um, even though they included lying, uh, which the Gemara seemed to be not so concerned about. Okay, so now we get to the next part of the Mishnah, the final part of the Mishnah, which says that you are allowed to machzikin yidei of the akum b'shviyas, or nachum b'shviyas. You're able to say to, to non-Jews who are working the land during Shemitah, like you're sort of saying, like, you know, you're strengthening them. You're, so what strengthening them exactly means, we'll see in the Gemara, um, but, uh, but um, you understand here that this is partly darchei shalom, but maybe even more than darchei shalom, since Jews can't work the land, um, you um, you know the fact that non-Jews are wearing the land might be essential for in order to be able to uh, survive during the uh, during Shemitah. So you actually want to encourage them, and that's machzikin yidei akum So let's take a look at the Gemara because the question is how far does this machzikin go? So the Gemara says as follows: machzikin, you can strengthen them. So the Mar thinks Machzikin, similar to the first part where it talks about lending them, lending vessels to the Amaret or actually grinding the grain. So Machzikin maybe means you can work with them. So the Gemara says, really? Now, doesn't Rav Dimi say that you cannot go ahead and... Um, Okay, that you cannot hoe with the Amharet, with, with the non-Jew on Shemitah. Ve'en kofling shalom lo'ovdei kochavim. And you don't say, shalom aleichem, shalom aleichem. You don't, you're not overly enthusiastic. The Mishnah says that you do say, you do, um, the language of the Mishnah was that you are, um, shalom uh, bishloman, but you are not kofling shalom. You don't, do, you don't do it twice. Okay, so the Gemara says, lo, tzrichalim achzuke ba'alma. No, but the point is that you, we're, not, we're talking about saying just achzuke yashakoach. So it's a question how to read this Gemara. Was Gemara assuming that machzikin meant that you could actually work with them? And could be. And then, um, and then um, we're saying that, you know, you're not allowed. Now, why would you think you could work with them? It is Shemitah. Well, that gets to the question of whether yesh kinyan ba'akum lafkia, you know, miyatumas and maizos to Israel. Does the non-Jewish ownership of the land allow you to work the land on Shemitah? Um, I think people who know about the Hetem know that that's exactly what the idea of the Hetem is based on. Um, and here it says that, um, that, you, that you're not allowed to work with them even though it's their land. So that's just interesting in itself, the possibility you would be, but then the Gemara rejecting it, but then really, you're not allowed to? But then how does that explain, you know, what we're actually doing in terms of the Hetem So if, take a look at Tosos. Toso says here, Eino Toso says, V'hadakamer b'perek zeborer, kabikoin that if you see a Kohen, for some reason mentions a Kohen, not specifically a Kohen, who is plowing the land on Shemitah, he could just say, oh, I'm an Agiston, and therefore not necessarily violating. So what is this Agiston? So it's not like Rashi explains that he's a hired hand of a non-Jew and the non-Jew owns the land. That would not make it allowed because this Gemara says you're not allowed to plow with them in the land. So and you can't say that, oh, like maybe you're allowed to do it as a volunteer, you know, that's machzikin yedeyakum. You're not allowed to do it as a volunteer because then you're, you know, but, but if they're hiring you, maybe you're seen as more an extension of them and I don't know, somehow that would make it more allowed or maybe it's an allowance that we give for parnasa, but technically it would be allowed. So it says, I don't buy that, okay? Um, uh, okay. No, no, no. What it means is that um, 
means is, is that they have to pay a tax to the king. Now, how does paying a tax to the king, if it's really forbidden, allow you to work the land on Shemitah? So Tosa says, um, skipping a few lines, maybe it would actually be Pikuach Nefesh that would allow you to violate the laws of Shemitah. So as opposed to explaining that Gemara that it's allowed because the non who owned the land, he says that was a case of Sakanas Nefashish, which seems a little far-fetched. Enam, he says, Tosos, because yesh or, no, that Gemara holds, presumably against this Gemara, that a non-Jew owns it, it changes its Shemitah status. So this answer is very significant. This answer seems to say that our Gemara and a different Gemara are debating whether ownership of a non-Jew would change the Shemitah status and allow it to be used on Shemitah. And therefore, based on the other Gemara, if you in that way, it would allow the land to be, uh, to be, to be you know, plowed and uh, used on Shemitah. And then Tozos has one final one, Inami Shemitah Bizmana Zedrabanan, or maybe because nowadays Shemitah's Durabanan, we do allow it when a non-Jew owns it for special considerations. You know, not in general, but special considerations like a tax. So those two last answer of Tosos are very important for the issue of Hetra Mechira. Now, back to our Gemara. So it could be our Gemara thought that the Mishnah was actually saying it was straight away allowed, like, you know, maybe that other Gemara implies, and it's to, to work with the non-Jew, uh, non-Jewish land. And then it says, no, that's not what we meant. And maybe the Gemara also thought that it meant you could go so much to be Kofel Shalom. Maybe that was the issue. But it says, no, we didn't mean either of those things, either working the land with them or doubling up and saying, Yashikayach, Shalom Aleichem, Shalom Aleichem. We just meant a more simple way of encouraging them. Achzuke, Achzuke is like, Shkoyach, good job, Shkoyach, but don't overdo it. Don't be Kofel Shalom. Okay, Kihad Rav Yehuda Amar Lu Achzuke, like when Yehuda saw people working the land on Shemitah, he said, Shkoyach, also, like, more power to you. You know, Yashakoach. All right, so that's what you're allowed to do for them, um, to, for the non-Jews. Um, now we're going to uh, analyze the last part of this uh, uh, statement that we brought in. This is not the Mishnah, it's the second part of this statement. Um, so do not say, Shalom Aleichem, Shalom Aleichem, but nevertheless... Rav Chizda made a point of going out and saying Shalom Aleichem. So he said it once, he didn't double it, but he still made a point of greeting them and saying Shalom Aleichem. Um, or, you know, peace be, peace be on you, like Boaz says to the Kotsrim. Hashem Yimachem. Peace to the master. Now, again, is this exactly in the Shemitah context? Is this a general point about saying Shalom Aleichem to non-Jews and because of Darche Shalom? So that's an interesting question of how do you read the Mishnah. Right? The Mishnah says, So whose Shalom are you Shoel? Are you, you know? So Rashi says this means the non-Jew that you can, in general, nothing to do with Shemitah and working the land. When you see a non-Jew, you say, hey, Shalom Aleichem, how are you doing? And that's what this Gemara is talking about. People that would generally, and that works with the language of this Gemara. You know, people that would generally go out and say, and, 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 and greet non-Jews, Shalom Aleichem, and welcome them, and so on. Um, and maybe just be careful not to overdo it. Okay, so that seems to be how our Gemara is reading the end of the Mishnah. Another way to read the end of the Mishnah, though, which gets us back to the first part of the Mishnah about helping people that are doing an Avera, is that 
for Jews, you're not allowed to say Yashar Koach, but you are allowed to say, how are you doing? Sholim Bishloman, you know? That you are allowed to say, even if they're working the land on Shemitah. That's a little more consistent with the beginning part of the Mishnah. Okay, let's go back to the Gemara. Visholim Bishloman. Okay, you ask after their well-being. Now, the Gemara here, as said um, a minute ago, understands this to be talking about um, um, non-Jews. Okay, so the Gemara says, So if you can strengthen them and say, when they're working on Shemitah of sorts, you can ask after their well-being. So now it's sounding a little bit like it's going back to talking about during Shemitah. Anyway, let's see what the Gemara's answer is. Okay, okay, the end part is not talking about Shemitah. During Shemitah, you can give them encouragement, The end part of the Mishnah, Sholim Bishloman, is not talking about Shemitah, it's talking about the rest of the year, and not only the rest of the year, it's even a bigger Chiddush, on their holidays, on their festivals, where we're not supposed to do business with them on their festivals, because that's going to lead to their increased Simcha, and they'll go thank their God, and so on, the whole beginning of Masechet Zavodah Nevertheless, we are allowed to say, Shalom Aleichem, how are you doing, and so on, normal type of, you know, courtesy. Okay? So, Titania, we taught in Brisa. Don't overdo it. If it's their festival, don't go into their house and ask them how they're doing. You know, don't pay a nice social visit. That would be too much, uh, you know, uh, they, they feel too good about their connections to Jews on their holidays and so on and be concerned about someone encouraging them. Um, if you bumped into him in the street, you sort of say it and like, hi, how's it going? Don't be over-enthusiastic, okay? So on Shemitah, give a real encouragement. During the rest of the year, you know, you can run up to greet them and say, Shalom just a certain limit. Don't be kofel shalom. And on their Yom Chag, you know, you can ask, but do it in a more moderate tone. Okay. Um, uh, where are we? Ravuna and Rav Chizda were sitting, and this person by the name of Gneva, you might remember him from the beginning, wonderful name, Ganev, whatever, from the beginning of the um, Masechet. Um, um, uh, there was a whole story about him and about how he was causing anguish to Tamirei Chachamim and whatever. Um, he came and he passed by them. Okay, so Amalei um, one said to the other, let's stand up to Bar Orianu. This guy's a, he knows a lot of Torah. We should stand up for somebody that's divisive. He's the he one that, if you again remember from the beginning of the Masechet, you know, he caused Marukva a lot of pain and eventually he was taken in chains and so on. Um, so, so while they were debating whether or not to stand up for him, he, he came over to them. And he said to them, So presumably this story is here because we were talking about being Kofel Shalom. And that's exactly what he was doing. He was in, you know, Shalom Aleichem kings, Shalom Aleichem kings. He was talking to them in this honored way and talking to them kings and expressing his enthusiasm for seeing them. Amrulay, they said to him, Where did you hear this idea that sages are called kings? That that's a proper, you know, way to refer to us. The Paskin Mishnah, where Torah is speaking, says, Through me, kings, you know, have their reign. Amulei, so so therefore the people through Torah make somebody into a king. 
they said to him, where do you know that when you encounter somebody who's a king or somebody who's seen of as a king, you know, you say, Shalom Aleichem, Shalom Aleichem, you do it twice. Because they have a tradition from Yudamarav. How do you, where do you know you double, you, 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 you know, peace when you welcome a king? The spirit, you know, take over Amishai, the head of this, the troops. And of course, it's the end of the Pasuk that's, that's significant. It's quoted here on the side. Shalom, shalom. Peace, peace to you, David. So it's a Pasuk. But I I also have it as a rabbinic tradition. This guy really, you know, it seems like he wasn't one of the social class of the rabbis, but he knew his stuff. That's what they said. Bar Orion. Amile, Lito Marmiti. So they said, oh, well, let's, let's sit and talk. You're nice. You know, clearly you know Torah. Would you like to have a snack? Would you like to eat some of our food? Amalu, he said to them, So apparently he knew the traditions of Rav Yudam No, I have to go, I have to go feed my animals, and it's also to eat anything before you feed your animals. First it says, yeah, I will give the grass to your animals, and then eat, eat and be sated. So, fascinating way to end this whole practice. Here he was, not only, you know, we learned earlier that he caused problems to this Marukva here, not only was he a ben Torah, but he was deeply respectful to the rabbis, and he had this whole morality about giving your behema first, you know, giving your animal first. He seemed like a, you know, perfect, um, uh, what do you call it, um, um, you know, person who's not of the rabbinic class, but of somebody who really um, is worth, uh, you know, like, like really respects and has the proper behavior towards the rabbis. So one, I wonder if that's a little bit of getting at this whole darche shalom, you know, the whole idea of darche shalom um, there's an element of that about like reciprocity. It's not just about uh, you know, well, like like to the non-Jews. Well, we don't want we don't want them to be mean to us. There's an actual value of acting in ways that encourage positive interactions and encourage interactions. You know, have a, a, a type of a peaceful society in which people are respected and act in respectful and considerate ways to one another. That could be seen as the larger point of Dark Hashem. What type of society do you want to construct and we want to live in? So here, you know. We were talking about negotiating an Amaaretz and a Chavir and so on. And here was somebody that was perceived of as negative, and they were questioning whether to approach him in a way of Darchei Shalom, and he actually approached them in a way of Darchei Shalom. So I think that that's probably, uh, I don't know if that's intended or not, but that's an interesting comment on the whole sort of discussions of Darchei Shalom that were part of this parrot. Okay, we now turn the page and we begin the sixth parak. It's called HaOmer, or sometimes it's called HaTitkabel, which is the second word in it, more distinctive than HaOmer. Okay, and um, let's take a look at this. We get finally are back to normal Gitan discussions. HaOmer HaTitkabel Zegetli Somebody says to a Shaliyah, receive this get for my wife. Oh, Holich Getzeli or deliver this get to my wife. He can change his mind any, up to the minute it gets delivered. Because even though he said, receive this for my wife, the wife did not appoint this person as her shaliach, as her agent. So, and this is something that is to her detriment to be divorced. It's assumed to be her, to her detriment. We had this whole mission away at the beginning, if you remember. Anyway, this is assumed to be to her detriment. So therefore, this guy um, the, the, can be a representative of the husband to give the get, but the get is not final until the woman receives it. So since he said, 
receive, we're going to return, interpret receive, he can't receive it for her, but we're going to interpret receive as deliver it and have her receive it. But, and either way, though, it is, she's not yet divorced, and therefore he can reverse himself until it gets delivered. Um, now, if the woman appoints a shaliach and says, go to my husband and he's ready to give me a get and receive my get for me, then after the husband gives this shaliach a get, the wife's shaliach, then it's final. He cannot retract it. Um, therefore, if this shaliach of the woman comes to the husband and the husband changes it around a little bit, there's a way in which the husband can still, can still have, an, have a window to change his mind. Okay, just don't give it to the shaliach as the agent of the woman um, and change the parameters. And here are how he's going to change the parameters. If he says, I don't want you to receive this get on her behalf. And um, here, I'm not giving it to you as her shaliach, as her agent. I am not prepared that my giving it to you represents my giving of it to her. What I am prepared to do is to make you my agent to deliver it to her. Um, in that case, then he, the, the, then he becomes a double agent. Haha. Then he becomes <laughs> the agent of the shaliach of the husband, and then the husband and can divorce the wife before, uh, uh, up on, can change his mind up until the point it gets delivered. If he wants to retract, he can retract. So Reb Shimon Gamliel says, even if the wife says to the shaliach, rather than receive my get for me, if she if, if she says like pick it up for me, take it for me, so that is um, a good making him a good shaliach, uh, shaliach for Kabbalah, shaliach to receive the get, and the husband um, cannot retract. Okay, presumably the chachamim might disagree. Maybe pick it up for me is not the is not what the wife is power to do. The wife's role is to receive it, not to take it. So, but he says, no, we interpret it to mean receive it. All right, so let's take a look now at the Gemara. The reason in the beginning of the Mishnah, right, we understand, right, that, that, that it, he can retract is because this person has not been made a shaliach for the wife, okay? Meaning, and to some degree, what Tosu says is the point of the Gemara is because when he says, receive this get for my wife, um, you know, that if he were, a, if, if, if the person were a shaliach, obviously it would be final. So the, the Mishnah is teaching the case that he said, receive this get for my wife, like it's almost like, crazy. Of course he can't do that. He's not a shaliach, right? Why does the mission even have to teach you that that doesn't work? Obviously he can't give it to the shaliach to, for it to work right now, but to teach you that we're talking about a case where the wife did not make this person a shaliach. Okay, so that's that's what he's saying. It's the Mishnah is teaching you that these cases of receive this get for my wife or take this get to my wife don't work because this person has not been made a shaliach to receive the get. Okay, had the wife made him a shaliach to receive the get, right? He could not retract, and that's certainly true. By the first case, when he says, "Receive this for my wife," if the wife had made this person a shaliach for Kabbalah, of course that would be final. But what he, that's not a chiddush. The chiddush is the second case of take this get to my wife. What happens if the wife says to the shaliach, "Be my shaliach to receive it"? And when the shaliach goes to the husband, the husband doesn't say, receive it for her. He says the second case in the Mishnah, take this to her. 
Do we understand that when he says take this, but he's speaking to a shaliach for Kabbalah, is that mean take this and on her behalf and be divorced? Or no, take this, convey this to her, which is more what holich means. Convey this to her, and I'm not buying into you being a shaliach le Kabbalah. You are going to be a shaliach of holacha. So that is the question. So he says, I'm going to infer from the Mishnah, since the first case works when he's a shaliach for Kabbalah and, and the husband can't retract, the same would be true about the second case. Okay? Um, um, so the Gemara says, So we can see from this, that when you say, take this, it's like you said, take this and take possession of it on behalf of this person. Okay? So, and that, if you might remember, way back at the beginning of the Masechet was a whole discussion when somebody says that to somebody, hey, take this for my slave. Does a slave automatically become freed? Is holich like zechi? So here there's a holich, and that was the person that wasn't even made a shaliach to receive it. Here you have somebody made a shaliach to receive it. Does holich override that and turn him into a shaliach to deliver it? Or does it make it like, here, take this on her behalf? And the Gemara is saying that since the first case would work if he, and it would be effective to get if he was a shaliach like Kabbalah. The same would be true about the second case. And this shows you that holich is like zechi. So, so, shmamina holich is chidami. So, the says, lo. So, he, so, Rav Ashi said back, I don't buy that inference. If you said holich, it would not work. Okay. So then why presumably teach the case of Hitkabel? Receive it. Presumably that's only put there to, to teach us that it would be different if the person was a shaliach for Kabbalah. But you who's saying that it wouldn't be different in the second case if he was a shaliach for Kabbalah, what is the Kiddush of the first case of Hitkabel? So, since the husband cannot make this guy a shaliach for Kabbalah, even when he gets, she gets the get, it wouldn't work. Receive it and bring it to her, is what he is saying. Okay, so what does that mean? It means that the first case of Hitkabo get, get Zel Ishi is seen as unnecessary. It's seen as extra and trying to teach you something. Okay? Because obviously it doesn't work when you say to somebody who's not a shaliach for Kabbalah, take this get from my wife. So the, um, and B, she should be divorced right now. Obviously she won't be divorced right now. So the first approach said, it's coming to teach you that the whole, both cases of the Mishnah would be different if she made a shaliach for Kabbalah. And that teaches you that holech is kizchi. That if she made a shaliach for Kabbalah, even if he said holech, it would be immediately effective. The response back is, no, that's not what the case of Hitzkabel is coming to teach you. Hitzkabel is coming to teach you, it's the case itself, it is a chilish. Because if he says, receive this get for my wife, then maybe even if it's delivered to the wife, it doesn't work. Because, because he never made this person a shaliach to deliver it. He just made this person, said, I want you to receive it for her. So the, the, it really is a chiddush. The chiddush isn't that it doesn't work now. Of course it doesn't work now. He's not a shaliach for Kabbalah. The chiddush is it does work when he delivers it. And even though he said receive it, it means make this get work for my wife, deliver it and have her receive it. Okay? 
So now what we are saying is that the first case of the Mishnah, receive it, it doesn't work immediately because he's not a shaliach for Kabbalah, but it will work if it's delivered because receive it means make her receive it, deliver it. The second case where he says deliver it, obviously it won't work until it gets delivered. Um, and the question that we have is, when the wife says to a shaliach, be my shaliach for Kabbalah, if the husband says receive it, that's your standard case, that works. But what if in that case he says, bring it to my wife? Does that change him into a shaliach for holacha? Or does that um, bring take it to my wife, mean like take it for my wife and make it immediately effective. And that's the question whether holach is kizchi. Um, you might be thinking that the next case in the Mishnah of E, F, she, I don't want it this way, do it this way is relevant, which it is. But the Gemara will look like, we'll look at when we continue this tomorrow.